This morning we're going to look at an uh, incredible psalm, Psalm 102. And the title of the message is Walking in the Dark. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, my mom said, get home before dark. and Make sure you're in the house before dark. Don't be out on the streets in the dark. And walking in the dark can be frightening. There are places where you don't want to be in the dark. Uh, because of crime or because of fear of what might happen to you uh, while you're out and about. But a friend of mine, Wayne Watson, wrote a song a number of years ago called Walk in the Dark. And I love this line in this song. I'd rather walk in the dark with Jesus than to walk in the light on my own. I'd rather go through the valley of the shadow with him than to stand on the mount alone. So what works when nothing seems to be working. When all around you, things are shut down, nothing's making sense. Uh, what we got up and did on a day-by-day -day basis, now many of us are not able to do that. Uh, until we get through this, and we don't know when that is, we hope soon, we pray soon, but all bets are off until we get through this. That's why it's important for us to honor the request for social distancing and to stay at home. That's why we're doing this streaming broadcast is because we want to honor the request of the government and the healthcare industry to try to take care of people. People are our priority during this moment and a lot of people are in the dark. And you may need to encourage somebody to watch one of these podcasts or simulcast to, to seek the Lord because now is a time of seeking and searching. How should believers respond? Well, one of the problems is the only time we look at Psalms is when we're in trouble. We, we never read it just for the sake of reading it. At least many people don't. And I can identify with Stuart Briscoe, who a long time ago wrote a book with several Psalms. And he said, my thought of the Psalms was it was the sort of thing you read when you're too sick to concentrate are too tired to keep awake more than a few minutes. The psalmist gives us a biblical perspective on the ups and downs of life. The psalms give us a path to walk. They give us a song to sing. They give us a prayer to pray. And they give us a perspective to keep. This world is living in make-believe and in fantasy. And all our fantasies have been pulled out from under us. The fantasy that we could have joy and happiness and peace in sports or in entertainment or in any other kind, eating out, whatever it is, the rug's been pulled out from under that. And now we're looking for purpose. So where do we find purpose if we can't connect, if we feel disconnected, if it seems like a dark time when we don't know where to turn? I would suggest to you to meet yourself in the Psalms to find the psalm that identifies with where you are and read it over and over and pray it and claim what God says. Because when you read the song, psalms, one of the things that happens is you say, well, that's what I'm thinking and that's what I'm feeling and that's what I would have said and that's what I'm worried about. Well, Psalm 102 has an answer. David says, oh, hear my prayer. He's praying. O oh Lord, and let my cry for help, he's crying out to God, come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Everybody's in a little distress right now. Incline your ear to me in the day when I call. Answer me quickly. That's our prayer, that God 
would answer our prayers to get back to some sense of normalcy soon, quickly, Lord Jesus. For my days have been consumed in smoke. Notice what he says. My bones have been scorched like the hearth. My heart has been smitten like grass and has withered, withered away. Indeed, I forget my bread. He is physically and emotionally drained. He's lost his appetite. He's lost his strength. Verse 5. Because of the loudness of my groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I resemble a pelican in the wilderness. I have become like an owl on the waste places. I lie awake. I have become like a lonely bird on a housetop. Some of you are feeling lonely right now. feel like you're all alone right now. But God is there. David is crying out in his despair to God. Verse 8. My enemies have reproached me all day long. Those who deride me have used my name as a curse. And I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled with drink, my drink and with weeping. Because of your indignation and your wrath, for you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a lengthened shadow, and I wither away like grass. David thought the psalmist had forsaken him and forgotten him. But then he goes to verse 12. This is the pivot point. But you, O Lord, abide forever, and your name to all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to be gracious to her, for the appointed time has come. This is a revival and restoration prayer in these verses. Lord, it's time for you to work. Hosea said, it's time to seek the Lord. It's time to call on God. This is a revival prayer. Lord, let me learn from this. Let me find my hope in you. Verse 15. So the nations, this is why the church needs to be praying. This is why the church needs to be engaged and connected right now. For the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. We are praying that God will use this around the world to call people to himself. That he'd bring good and his glory out of this. Verse 16, for the Lord has built up Zion. He has appeared in his glory. He has regarded the prayer of the destitute and has not despised their prayer. This will be written for the generation to come that a people yet to be created, may praise the Lord. And he looked down from his holy height from heaven. The Lord gazed upon the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to set free those who were doomed to death. Faith, he had faith that God wasn't finished with them yet, that there was a generation that would yet be born, that would find that God is faithful and that God is sufficient. Verse 21, now he's talking about our witness that men may tell of the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the peoples are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. There's going to be a time when we come back together, when the peoples are gathered together, and we pray that God's kingdom will serve the Lord, not our selfish interests. Here's, here's the point. The spiritual impact of David's prayer is calling for God to reach the nations that evangelism and missions will be ignited in times of crisis when people have no hope. We have the hope in Jesus Christ. When they have no hope, that this would ignite us to pray for revival and for a move of God. God can go places we can't go. And so let's ask God to use us in this time. And so look at some of these things that David says. There are seasons of darkness 
We live in a fallen world. It, it is depraved. Experiences affirm this. And the Christian life, quite honestly, is tough enough without some preachers, so-called preachers, offering false hope in a time of crisis. God did not promise us prosperity. God did not promise us a life without problems. He did promise us his presence. And he, that promise has rung true through the ages, regardless of whether it was times of persecution or hope or war or fear or faith. It's always rung true. God does not separate himself from his people. There are seasons of darkness. It's revealed in Scripture. I mean, you just look at Scripture, at the words in Scripture, and the psalmist is talking about groaning, grieving, tears, sorrow, crisis. It's revealed in the saints. If you read the lives of the great saints, you will see that many of them went through dark times. D.L. Moody went through a very dark time when somebody cried out fire in, in his church in Chicago. Spurgeon had the same thing happen to him. In fact, in Spurgeon, in his morning sermon on a day in 1866, said, I am the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. Spurgeon said, hey, I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. I have nowhere to turn but God, and I pray you never get in this situation. It's revealed in our own lives, dark moments in our own lives of disappointments and lack of clarity and setbacks and health crisis, the death of a loved one, depression, anxieties. One of the things I loved about Ron Dunn was his honesty. Ron knew how to speak to people that were walking through dark times. Having a son who had taken his own life, ha having dealt in his own life, Ron's own life, with bipolar, manic depression, and yet one of the most victorious people I ever knew in my life. If you go in Ron's library, which is now located here at Sherwood, you'll see some of the books that he read, and you might look at those and say, well, that are, that's a strange collection of books. That's a strange thing for a preacher to be reading. And I asked Ron about it one time, and this is what he said. My preaching is in self-defense. I'm trying to see if other people have gone through what I've gone through and how God has gotten them through it. It happens in all our lives. All of us are going to hit a moment somewhere, sometime, somehow, when darkness overwhelms us. There are seasons of darkness. There are signs of darkness. There are signs of darkness. And just kind of walk through me with me quickly here. I'm just going to walk through these verses and follow me. God seemed far away, verse 2. Life seemed meaningless, verse 3. His bones felt like they were burning, verse 3. He lost his appetite, verse 4. He felt alone, verse 6. He felt rejected in verse 8. He was overwhelmed with sadness and tears in verse 9. He lost perspective in verse 10. He felt his life was over in the last half of Verse 10, you say, well, that, that's David. Yeah, but it's also Job. It's also the book of Lamentations. It's also Isaiah and his crying out to God. You see this over and over in the scriptures where people lose a sense of purpose. And yet God has a word. These words are verses of lament 
in the first 11 verses. He's pleading with God to hear his prayer. Now, here's one thing I, I want you to note, and it'll come up uh, on the screen. There are five requests in verse 1 and 2, and they are virtually identical. First of all, David says, hear my prayer. Secondly, let my cry for help come to you. Thirdly, don't hide your face. Lord, I need to see you. I need to know what you're doing. Fourthly, turn your ear to me. Lord, would you hear me? And five, answer me quickly. Now, when you look at those five together, when he says, answer me quickly, they're all in agreement. That is praying in agreement. His heart seeking the heart of God to be in agreement with God. God, hear me, listen to me, see me, answer me. David is crying out to God in this painful time. He's probably asking himself, what in the world have I done to deserve this? You see, David's being honest. And sometimes even Christians have a hard time being honest. We see each other at church when we do get the privilege of gathering, and we say, how you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing great, doing wonderful. Couldn't be better. And we put on our facade, and we put on our fake smiles. That's not the way to have a relationship with God. A relationship with God says, Lord, you know me, you know my heart, you know my fears, you know my anxieties, you know my weaknesses. God, I need to be honest with you. I'm not feeling so great right now. I'm fearful. I've lost my appetite. I feel like I'm wasting away. I'm filled with tears. I've, I've lost my perspective. Be honest. We cannot fool God about what's going on in our hearts. Now, we can fool some people. But I guarantee you, in this time of being sheltered, we are not fooling our family about what we're thinking and about what we're feeling because locked up and cooped up, we're expressing things that we might have otherwise tempered a little bit. And just remember, if you're in a home with kids, they are hearing that. But let them know it's okay for them to be honest with God about their fears in a time like this. The third thing is that there are some sure promises in times of darkness. Verse 12, But you, O Lord, abide forever, and your name to all generations. God wants to reach all generations through this. He is concerned about every generation, from the baby that was born this morning until the person that is in their last hours of life. God is concerned for all generations. David has turned the corner. God will answer. God will move. Everything in this psalm builds from verse 12. Verse 12 is the first step as he's changing the way he thinks. So let's just kind of follow his thinking. First of all, David says, God is sovereign, sovereign, and you're not. God's sovereign, you're not. Some of us think we're sovereign. Some of us think we're the, the masters of our fate and the captain of our ship. But we're in a storm right now, and we don't know where this storm is going to take us. God's sovereign, you're not. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has revealed himself in his word. He has revealed himself in his promises. And God is in control of this. Everything in this world is pointing toward the end of this world. When Jesus comes back, and we're going to talk about that in the message tonight about the second coming, and about is this pandemic a sign 
of the end times? I believe you might be surprised what the answer is. It might be closer than you and I think. It's in the realm of possibilities. So, God is sovereign. God decides when Jesus comes back. God decides when there's a new heaven and a new earth. God decides when Satan is bound and chained in the pit of hell. God decides. He's sovereign. And the greatest thing we can do is to say to the Lord, Lord, you are sovereign. I am not. I'm not in control. And today I yield control to you. And you're going to have to do it every day. You may have to do it every hour, every 10 minutes, every 15 minutes. Secondly, God is true to his word. Verse 18, God is true to his word. This will be written for a generation to come that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Now, we're talking 3,000 years ago. David wrote this psalm at least 3,000 years ago. And he says, this will be written. What God does will be written for a generation to come. That's us. That's our kids, our grandkids. That a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Now, let me just kind of come through the, the monitor or the screen or your phone or your iPad or whatever you're watching on. And let me just say something here about this verse. How we respond in this time of crisis is going to tell our children and our grandchildren what we really believed about God. Is God true to his word? Is God faithful? It's going to tell our kids because our life, our actions, our responses, our words right now are either going to be that we are resting in the Lord and trusting the Lord or it's going to be panic, run around, we're going nuts, there's no hope. And if you build fear into your children and grandchildren now, they will live in fear all their lives apart from an intervention from God. Build faith in them. Yes, we are afraid of this pandemic, but we are not without hope because God has promised us things in his word. Thirdly, God hears our prayers. You know, Warren Wiersbe said we need to forget our stock standard prayer so we can learn how to pray. And you learn how to pray by praying, but you don't learn how to pray by being dishonest with God. When you look at the scriptures and you see Moses and Elijah and Jeremiah and Job and Habakkuk and you look at the prophets, you look at the disciples and you look at the, the scriptures and you see people that are honest to God about their complaints. They are complaining to God, Lord, this is nuts. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to respond. If you're going to whine, whine to the right person. Complain to God. He will not take it personally. He will listen and he will hear your prayers. You know, you got to be honest. When I was a kid, I'd go to my parents and ask for money. Well, what do you want money for? I just need some money. Well, what do you want money for? Well, I just need some money. You just get, need to give me some money. Well, what do you want money for? And I, I would get in this thing, and I'd say, well, there's another new car or a piece of track or a piece of landscaping that goes with my road race set, and I would really like to get that and add it to it. Then they could tell me yes or no, or you've got to be kidding. 
But I had to get specific. Why do you want money? They weren't going to give me money just because. It was either to meet the need or the want, and it was their decision. But until I told them specifically what I was thinking or what I wanted, they couldn't respond specifically. General prayers, general answers. Fourthly, God gives perspective. He reminds us of his faithfulness in the past. Now, we've talked about this the last few weeks. God gives us perspective. Vance Havner used to tell a story uh, about a preacher who was preaching out in the country, and he was staying with a family that lived on the other side of the woods and across a, a small bridge. And he had stayed late that night in the meeting. That family had gone on home, and, and this preacher had walked out and said, I, I don't know how to get back. I've always walked with this family back to their home, and I don't really know how to get back to the home. And one of the men that was still there with him took a lantern, and he lit it, and he said, you hold this lantern up high, and you start down this path right here, and it will get you home. He said, but what if, he said, just hold up the lantern, stay on the path, and it will get you home safely. Folks, this book is our lantern. It's a lamp to our feet. It is the light to our path. We don't have to stumble in the dark wondering if there's a pothole ahead or a rock that we will trip over or a branch that we won't see. We walk according to the light, in the light. The light shows us the next step. That lamp may not show us the next week, but it shows us the next step. And then we take another step, and the light surrounds us as we hold it up, and we step in the presence and in the light of God as we talk to Him, as we get His perspective. So let me give you three prayer points before we wrap up. First of all, praise God that He has the final word. This virus doesn't have the final word. The president doesn't have the final word. Government doesn't have the final word. The economy doesn't have the final word. God has the final word. And he's made promises over and over and over to his children. Secondly, focus on Christ, not the crisis. One of the best things we can do is just, again, get our information at the top of the hour, then turn the TV off and, and pray and focus on Christ. Christ needs to be bigger than this crisis. And the only way he is, is when we focus. And then finally, be patient. Wait on the Lord. Be patient. Look, I know you're stir-crazy. We're all stir-crazy. Terry and I have been locked in pretty much 24-7. Uh, we, we spent more time together in the last week or so than we've spent on vacations. I mean, we, we know you're stir-crazy. And we know you just like to get out and go sit down at some steakhouse or, or go sit down at Chick-fil-A or do something just to get out. Be patient. Wait on the Lord. In the length of life, and life is just a breath, but in the length of life, this is a small dot in the total story of your life. And if we can't wait and trust God and be patient in a moment like this, 
What happens when it gets even closer to home? So wait patiently on the Lord. Let me pray for you. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would calm the hearts of those watching, that you would strengthen those who are weak, and that you would lift up those that are fallen down, that you'd show grace on our community, on the doctors, on the nurses, on the, the people that are struggling. Lord, I pray that you would show grace on our church family and every church family that's trying to navigate through this crisis. Lord, we hold the lamp up high and it will guide our path. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.